Greetings in the Master's name. Let's uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. want to look at that chapter some more this Sunday, this morning. And uh, so at this time I'll read Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will? For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak? But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, and thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. We have already uh, uh, gone over part of this chapter. Uh, the first four verses there again, uh, just a few more comments on those, that we ought to take the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So taking earnest heed is really, uh, it's, 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 it speaks of seriousness, earnestness, uh, paying attention to the things which we have heard. And I'm sure that you all, most of you all at least, are aware of people who have heard the gospel, they've heard it from a little up, and they let it slip. So it happens. So we need to be diligent in taking heed to the things we've heard. We've been taught a lot of good stuff. And do we value it? Do we treasure it? Or do we do we just I don't know. Well, do we just, just drift away from it? That's what it says here. Thus, any time we should let them slip, and the, the word picture I understand in the Greek is like a boat just kind of drifting, drifting by something. 
do we question the things we've heard? And it, it, it and I, I think it's okay to question the things we've heard. In other words, we need to own the truth ourselves, but not question it in a cynical way or a, I don't know, was any other word, uh, a um, a doubtful way or it's okay to look into things, but but here again, I'm saying I'm. I imagine most of y'all know people that have been taught well and just just drifted away from it, just let it slip. It says, if the word spoken by angels, okay, so there's consequences. But then verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And here again, I mentioned that it's not... It says so great salvation and how great is it to us? It says that we, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? That kind of goes along with the first verse. See, it doesn't say reject. It says neglect. There's a difference. Reject, you know, you're just reacting against it. Some people do that too. But neglecting it, you know, you just, yeah, you know what neglect is. And it says, if we neglect so great salvation, so great salvation, and, um, well, I was thinking about different accounts that are in this book, God's Word. Now, it's a little book, God's Word, Unique, Magnetic, Eternal, and it, the focus is actually on uh, the power of the Word of God. But it also, when these people read the Word, somehow seeing the, the gospel that's revealed in the word and what it does to them. Uh, this one here, I'm going to read. Um, this fellow wrote this book, evidently was a missionary in South America for a long time. Uh, the title of this is Baltadono. In Argentina in 1947, I met, I met a man named Baltadono. He was from Bolivia, and he told me about his life. Baltadono said that when he was a boy... A man came through his Bolivian village in 1905 selling Bibles and New Testaments. Baltadono bought a little black pocket edition of the New Testament with Psalms. Next day, the church bell began to ring wildly, wildly, and the village people rushed there, as was their custom, to see what was the matter. The priest told the villagers that an evil man had been among them selling a bad book called the Bible and that all the Bibles must be destroyed. Baltadona went home and took the New Testament, put it on the top of a large wardrobe, and there it stayed for several years. Baltadona, by this time, had taken up smoking. One day he came home and found he had no cigarette paper. Searching for a substitute, he remembered the little book he had bought. He took it from the top of the wardrobe and tore out the first page. Carefully, he rolled the leaf tobacco in his hand, broke it up, put it on the paper, and rolled the cigarette. The fine paper made a very good cigarette, and from that time he continued to use the New Testament page by page for that purpose. One day he tore a page from the Testament, rolled the tobacco, and was ready to drop it on the paper when his eye caught the words, The Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost. Baltadono laid down the tobacco and read the rest of the page. He turned it over and read the other side. He then picked up the New Testament and read on. Finally, he had to get up and light two candles as night came on and he was still reading. The candles burned low and had to be replaced, but Baltadono kept reading on through the night. 
At last, he told me, just as the eastern sky began to glow with the light of dawn, he got out of his chair, knelt down, put his face in his hands, and asked Christ to come into his heart and forgive his sins. The next, that morning after breakfast, he continued to be amazed at the wonderful story in the little black book. Baltadono got what money he had and started a long hike to a larger village some kilometers away. There he was able to buy another testament. He was determined to read the part of the book he had smoked up, Matthew, Mark, and 18 chapters of Luke. His interest in God's word continued. He began to testify, then to preach. Later he was able to buy a Bible. Truth had captured Baltadono when he providentially exposed himself to it. He was drawn irresistibly by its fascinating power. The more he understood the teachings of the Bible, the more he felt empowered to share them, for he discovered that they met human needs. His preaching improved. He kept sharing the wonderful truths he discovered as the years passed. When he told me his story in 1947, he was helping missionaries from abroad understand the culture and language of Argentina. He confessed freely that the little black book he had bought as a lad in his remote Bolivian village had changed his character and outlook forever. It was some time after Baltadono found forgiveness through Christ that to his surprise and delight he discovered other believers. He was not alone in the world. Others, too, had a vital relationship with the living God. God's word had transformed Baltadono. Amazing reality. And I was thinking about our great salvation and what the power of God does in our life and the grace of God and those verses in Titus that, um, in other words, you notice how the effect that the truth of the word of God, how in Baltadono, it didn't just stop with that day. I mean, it all through his life, he kept growing as he read the word. And the, the verses in Titus, I was thinking about the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, this great salvation, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's part of that great salvation. And But that uh, that account, the great salvation, like that morning after breakfast, he continued to be amazed at the wonderful story in the little black book. Is it a great salvation to us? I mean, I was sharing the prayer request there with the lady in jail and the kind of life that she experiences. And we haven't been redeemed from those specific physical settings, particularly. And to be delivered, to be delivered from that slavery is indeed a great salvation. But is it a great salvation to you and me? Or do we count it as an ordinary thing? Well, going on in the chapter here, somehow, verses 5 through 8, I always thought it was talking about Christ. It talks about, it quotes Psalm 8. I think it's Psalm 8 it's quoting. Um, 
where David says, what is man that thou art mindful of him and so on, and he made him a little lower than the angels. But then, I, but since Christ became a man, I thought, you know, the writer to the Hebrews was transferring those thoughts onto Christ as, as a man. But in studying for it this time, the references, and actually there were some notes, I think, in some of the Bibles, some of the versions I was reading, that actually it's talking about man. And somehow I didn't, I didn't know that before. I uh, didn't realize it. Because you see, the, at, at, the end, at the end of verse 8, it says, in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. And all the references said that's referring to man. And that was new to me. Uh, so, you know, you can check your theology there, but uh, there seemed to be pretty well universal agreement on that. Um, and so, so what I take from that then is that, I mean, God gave man dominion, but uh, we still struggle. Not everything's put under us yet. That's, that's what I'm taking from it. Uh, we, we don't have the final victory. Paul said, I press toward the mark. He said, I die daily. He said, I keep under my body. In fact, uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 9. The last, uh, last several verses, starting in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it unto, into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I hear this is the apostle Paul talking. And he says, I have to discipline myself so that there's the possibility that after I've done all this wonderful preaching, I mean, Apostle Paul, the missionary, you know, and the three missionary journeys and all that, he says, I could do all that if I don't discipline myself when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Pretty serious. So we see not yet all things put under us. Evidently, it's what, what that's talking about. But then, verse 9, and that's what the book of Hebrews is about. That's the focus of the book of Hebrews. But we see Jesus. We see Jesus. Uh, let's turn back to, second, again, Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Second Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so there, light shining out of darkness. God has given us light. And it's shined in our hearts. And we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's, it talked about that in the first chapter of Hebrews, how he's the express image of God. And of course, you know what, um, what Jesus told um, 
was it Philip or Thomas? Philip, I believe. When Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, what are you, asking? What are you saying that for? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, but we see Jesus. Okay, he was made, okay, it's interesting. The first chapter points out how Christ is superior to the angels. And now verse 9 says he's made a little lower than the angels when he became man. And so that he could suffer death. And now he's crowned with glory and honor. That's kind of a phrase in there. That by the grace of God, he tasted death for every man. Uh, he tasted death for every man. I thought about 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all. But I like what the rest of the verse says too. You know, people are quite ready to accept the fact that he died for them, you know, kind of gives them a their ticket to heaven, so they think. Uh, he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He died for us, that we can live for him. Uh, that, it goes together. It's two sides of the same coin, so to speak. Crowned with glory and honor. And again, familiar, familiar teaching, familiar passages, but let's just turn to Philippians 2. Um, through his death, he was crowned with glory and honor. And we see that in Philippians 2, 7 to 9. Made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And I also thought about what it says in Isaiah 53. Uh, that's often, I guess, thought about uh, Christmas over the time of Christmas, maybe. But the last verses of, of Isaiah 53, I think, are talking about the same thing as verse nine here where it says through the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor so uh isaiah 53 verses 10 11 and 12 it pleased the lord to bruise him he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the lord shall prosper in his hand he shall see of the trail travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So notice especially the first part of verse 12. I will divide him a portion with the great, he shall divide the spoil with the strong. So that I think that's the crown of glory and honor part there. Okay, verse 10. It became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. It became him to suffer. And so that's what Jesus was explaining to the disciples on the Emmaus Road. If you look back at Luke 24, Luke 24, towards the end of the chapter, verse 46. 
So, you know, Jesus appeared to those two men on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't know who he was, and they was... So Jesus started explaining the scriptures to them. In verse 46, it said, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer. And that's what this verse says, it became him. And that's what he said back there to those disciples on the road, road to Emmaus. Now, notice the next two phrases. It became him by whom are all things, and, well, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. And it's interesting, uh, William's translation, the verse, this is the way Williams has this verse. It was appropriate for him who is the final goal and the first cause of the universe in bringing many children to glory to make the leader in their salvation perfect through the process of sufferings. But that's how he encapsulated that thought there. We read it in the King James and we just, you know, we're so used to reading it. But for whom are all things and by whom are all things. And so, so William's translation, of course, it's probably not as literal, but it gets the meaning. Who is the final goal? See, that's for whom are all things. And the first cause, causes, you know, the first cause of the universe, and, the, and that's the phrase, by whom are all things? The cause. He caused it. He created the universe. You know, what's beginning of the um, book, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was the first cause. Well, by whom are all things? For whom are all things? He's the goal. Well, that's that's Revelation 4.11. Um, Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. He's the goal. Okay, it says, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And that Greek word has the idea of complete, accomplish, consummate. Make perfect. In other words, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. But I, the word study... Probably know I like word study, but um, <clears throat> I was looking up some other <clears throat> other verses where that word "perfect" is used. The uh, the, the same Greek word, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Just uh, turn back to Luke thirteen thirty two. Luke thirteen thirty two. In even though it's um, he's talking about uh, Herod here, it's the same thought about the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings because he says, he said to them, go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. See, that's talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection. The third day I shall be perfected. And so here it says, perfect through sufferings. And the other verse I wanted to look at, well, it's in Hebrews here. Hebrews 5, verse 9. And being made perfect, okay, uh, verse 8, we should do verse 8 too. 
Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Same thought as here in verse, verse 10. Okay, verse 11. Uh, just a comment, one, one comment here on that last phrase. Um, not, I mean, it talks about sanctification, and that could be a whole sermon in itself, uh, sanctification, but we're not going to go into that this morning. It says, for which cause, in other words, we are sanctified through Christ. It's kind of like, well, we're a long shot from being equivalent to Christ, but in a certain sense, we're on the same, same plane. You think about that, sanctified, it calls that sanctified part. But it says, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And uh, Mark 3.35, I wanted to look at Mark 3.35, what Jesus said there. Actually, the setting here is, is pretty interesting, I think. I mean, Jesus has started his ministry, he's starting to preach. And some of the things he said was pretty radical. And I, I sort of get the feeling here that it's like um, his family came and was kind of like, um, uh, maybe we need to give him some help uh, or control him or something. Because it says his brethren and his mother came and were calling him and the multitude said, hey, your family's outside looking for you. And verse 33, he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked around about on them which said about him and said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and sister and mother. A very interesting verse. Whosoever shall do the will of God is my brother, my sister, and mother. The family of God is what it is. Well, then verses 14 and 15, and I've mentioned those before, but the, 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 the power and the truth of those verses, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Jesus, okay, so Christmas coming up. The incarnation, incarnate, in the flesh, Jesus became, he took on him flesh and blood. It's a mystery. It's a total mystery. But he became a man. It says he likewise took part of the same, that through death, he had to do that to die. And I think I said that, one of the other messages, a God can't die. He had to become a man to die. That through death he might destroy? Destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil? And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to death. Okay, destroy him that had the power of death? 
Uh, let's look at a couple verses here. Colossians 2. Colossians 2. 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And if you want one that's even stronger than that, 2 Timothy, first chapter. Verse, starting at verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Is death abolished? That's what it says. So maybe you can think about that. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now when, uh, let's see, was it... uh, was it John the Baptist's father? I think it was here in, uh, in Luke chapter 1. And uh, after John the Baptist was born, and, and you know, he, was, he was, uh, couldn't speak for a while. And then when, the, when he was born, then he could speak, and he, he had something to say. And so it's, uh, I'm just going to read the one verse. When he said, well, I'll read, uh, well, I don't know how much, you could read the whole thing. He's, his prophecy is about, it says he was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, and he's saying how the Lord's going to deliver. But verse 74, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. And he was thinking about a different kind of deliverance at that point. But it's, it, it, to me, it matches over here. Deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And that's 2 Timothy 1, 7. And I think I'll take time to read part of a tract here. Um... It's actually a, a tract on missions, I think. It says, what will Jesus think of the Americans? But I'm going to just read the last half. Uh, Deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What does that mean? Are you afraid of death? Are you in bondage because of death? Of course, we could go to 1 Corinthians 15. But sometimes, I I read things like this sometimes because we're so used to the scripture that some of the power of it sometimes doesn't come through. Uh, So, okay, breaking in here, a soft voice called missionary, may I ask you one question? The missionary turned and looked into two eager dark eyes. A native woman stood there, 
She had an unusual amount of silvery strands in her dark hair, yet she could not have been more than 30 years of age, the missionary's own age. The face, too, was intelligent, but it had in it a peculiar look, half sad and half resentful. Yes, you may ask a question, and I'll try to answer it. Did you forget it when we were holding the meeting? No, lady, I wanted to wait until the others had gone. I've waited two years to ask this question. You have the fever. Too bad, I'm sorry, it will not take long. Yes, I have the fever, but ask the question. Are you a Christian? I've been, that's what the missionary said. I've been a Christian for two years, but I've never seen a missionary before. There's been none in this village for two years, I think, lady. You're right, I was not in this country myself two years ago, but what is the question? Just this. How long have you known that Jesus loved us here? All my life. Did your mother and grandmother know it? Yes. Were they missionaries? No. Why were they not? Well, answered the missionary, passing her hand wearily across her forehead, everybody cannot come here. Folks have home cares too. In America, every woman can't come. Did your mother and grandmother ever read this? Turning instantly to the last chapter of Matthew, reading from her native Bible. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Did they ever read that, she demanded, as she finished? What could the missionary reply? Her head fell forward, signifying unwilling assent. They knew that Jesus loved us too over here and that he told them to come and teach all nations, baptizing us, but they didn't come. Why not? Well, as I said, folks have home cares and everyone cannot come here. But my mother and grandmother did pray for you and told me about you and I have come. Oh, you're too late for some lady. Listen, one day on the floor of our home, my old grandmother lay on her rice straw bed dying. My mother and I were working over the cooking in the courtyard when we heard grandmother cry aloud. Mother hurried into the room and I followed. I crouched down back on my mother. Grandmother's old gray head was tossing and her hands were raised, trying to push something from her. Is that you, daughter? She called to my mother. Yes, sobbed mother. But what is the matter, mother? What is it? Are you worse? I'm dying, sobbed grandmother, and I'm afraid. Quick, pick me up in your arms. I can't see you, but I can hear you. I'm afraid to die. No, don't cry. There's no time for that. Pick me up and hold me tight. Don't let me go. The spirits are waiting out in the darkness, and I don't know what to say to them. I'm afraid of the spirits. Don't let me go. And she stopped for breath, panting. Oh, mother, don't. But if you must, don't be afraid. You have worshipped the spirits. You've done the best you could. Mother's voice fairly shrieked as she tried to make grandmother hear. But I'm afraid that doesn't help me. Yes, I've worshipped the spirits, but who worships them enough? Hold me closer to you. Hold me tighter. I'm afraid. Quick, tell me what to say to the spirits. I don't know. I don't know. But oh, don't be afraid. Oh, don't. Suddenly, lady, there was a shriek that I'll hear as long as I live. And my grandmother's old gray head was still and her head dropped. She was gone where she was afraid to go. My mother moaned in fright. Oh, if only I had known what to tell her, but I didn't. I didn't know. By and by, she took a piece of clean linen and covered grandmother's face. And we buried her that day, lady. The speaker turned suddenly, choking dry sobs, making her gasp rather than ask, they tell me that in your country, you look at your dead when they die, do you? Yes, whispered the missionary, dry-eyed, burning-cheeked. 
and yet fascinated by the dark eyes peering into hers? We do. We don't, bluntly continued the questioner. We cannot look at the fear, the misery. You might call this the land of covered faces. The land of covered faces, murmured the missionary, looking off into space. But the voice of the native woman continued more quietly, but clear and penetratingly deadly. Yes, lady, when I grew up, my mother died that way. I held her tight. I told her not to be afraid. But she, too, went out of life shrieking, and I covered her face. I suppose, lady, that your grandmother and mother died about the same time in America. We are about the same age. Yes, replied the missionary, feeling as if she understood what was meant by the third degree. Then I guess you were reading this to them. Opening her well-worn Bible, she read, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It was read to my grandmother when she was dying, said the missionary. Ah, then, she had that to die on, but mine died this way. Was it fair? Didn't Jesus mean my folks too? And so, but... that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the, de the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all our lifetime subject to bondage. And I suppose we don't have that fear because we have the gospel. But what does it mean to us? That's the point. So great salvation. That's what it is. It's so great salvation. Just a little bit here yet. Um, in the last half of this chapter, we have three reasons Jesus became man. In verse 10, it says, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Three reasons Jesus became man. Verse 10, leader, leader to show us the way to victory and glory. Verses 14 and 15, we've just been talking about deliverer. Free us from the power, free us from the fear and power of death and the devil. And in the last verse of the chapter, we haven't talked about that one, for that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And so that's going to be talked about more in Hebrews, but the third reason is faith, so he could be a faithful high priest. Understand and sympathize. Three reasons Jesus became man, leader, deliverer, faithful high priest. And this last verse from the Amplified Bible, for because he himself in his humanity has suffered in being tempted, tested and tried, he is able immediately to run to the cry of, assist, relieve, those who are being tempted and tested and tried and who, therefore, are being exposed to suffering. And again, uh, there'll be more about that in Hebrews. There's this song that it's in, um, it's not in most of our hymnals, it's in Zion's Praises, it's in the uh, Sacred Service Hymnal, that little red book. And it, 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 to, it, it, it connects with this verse 18, I think, the thought of verse 18, but it's also that thought, 
but we see Jesus. I just want to keep emphasizing that. And the title of the song is, Oh, I Want to See Him. That's in the refrain. As I journey through the land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary to the crimson flow, many arrows pierce my soul from without within. But my Lord leads me on. Through him I must win. And this is the chorus. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. And I'll just read the last three verses. When in service for my Lord, dark may be the night, but I'll cling more close to him. He will give me light. Satan's snares may vex my soul, turn my thoughts aside, but my Lord goes ahead, leads whate'er betide. When in valleys low I look toward the mountain height and behold my Savior there leading in the fight, with a tender hand outstretched toward the valley low, guiding me I can see as I onward go. When before me billows rise from the mighty deep, then my Lord directs my bark, he doth safely keep, and he leads me gently on through this world below. He's a real friend to me, oh, I love him so.